Hello and welcome or welcome back to my podcast series, How Enslavement Was Justified in America During 1715 Until 1815. Um, So this episode is going to discuss the rather common justification for enslavement that, quote unquote, enslavement is good for enslaved people. Um, So just one more thing before we get started here um the bibliography for this episode will be located in the description of each episode and this is how it will work in each podcast i just forgot to mention that in my little introduction episode so we're gonna get right into it so of course you know i think a lot of people have heard uh, you know the argument that oh well like whatever say we're talking about like um say fracking for example um is a necessary evil like the concept of what a necessary evil is something that you know of course is still like a prevalent topic in today's society well of course that was also something that was used as an argument for enslavement which is a part of another episode um so people who use this argument that well enslavement is actually good for enslaved people they didn't believe it was a necessarily a necessary evil at all This was philanthropy to them. Instead, they viewed it as a positive good. And I say that um, in quotes um, because like that term was actually coined. It was actually coined a little bit later and documented in around, I think it was like 1825 to 1830. Around then, that's really when the the term was coined. But of course, you know, we're talking about a time where you know the abolition movement was getting much stronger so at this point in time um you know uh, sorry i got a little distracted but at this point in time it wasn't necessarily like you know coming up with arguments wasn't necessarily at the forefront of america and so of course when it got to be around like the 1820s 1830s when you know people were talking about abolition um um so it was during this time that you know that was really when the need came to talk about why you would justify enslavement if you did um, or why you didn't. So that's why you start to see a lot more documentation of this positive good being talked about um, as a justification for enslavement. So like I said, it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I cannot talk today. Um, So this was not a necessary evil at all. This was philanthropy to people who use this argument. They believed they were doing good, being benevolent, and providing these people with a paternalistic household, a home, shelter, and most importantly, God's word. Um, So instead, it was viewed as a positive good, like I said. Um, So this idea actually does date back to the early 1700s, even though it is more heavily documented later on in like around 1830, like I previously mentioned. Um, Yep. 1820s i'm just looking through my notes here just to make sure i'm like keeping up with what i'm trying to talk about and stay on track um so like i said because the abolition movement was slowly going stronger and stronger during this time there was more of a need to come up with you know the defense for their case or keeping enslavement um so the idea here is that the enslaved are naturally weak people and it is actually the duty of white people to help them and give them purpose and Apparently, that is through enslavement. Um, so, of course, that is more of a, you know, I. it's not logical, but it's based on logic. It's not backed up by a text or anything like that. 
until, of course, we get to the Bible. So that's kind of where a text backing up this kind of just simple like thought process comes in. Um, so the New Testament actually in Colossians chapter 3 and 4 discuss enslavement. So this was used to describe enslavement as a positive good as well. So this was like, you know, part of that ar that argument. It wasn't completely pulled out of thin air, you know? So the part of the Bible that really points to this, and like before I quote it, um, it is important to note that I'm using the ESV translation of the Bible. Um, so here is the quote. So I'm just going to read. This is directly from the ESV Bible. Quote, rules for Christian households. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of, of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartedly, as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And then when we go into 4, I'm continuing to quote, 4.1 says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. End quote. That very last sentence is especially telling. It equates the master and slave relationship to the relationship that a master has. Oh, sorry. Ugh, I started chirping on my wording. Um, so it equates the master and slave relationship to the relationship that the master has with God. So this is a pretty shocking verse to listen to at first because if and when people were to read this and take it in the most literal direction possible, this said, you know, the master is being told, yeah, you can play with, you can play God with your bondservants. And this could be taken as far as to say God is fine with you beating your bondservant to death if you have, if you believe you have good reason. Um, so, of course, I... <laughs> I have to keep reminding myself in this podcast not to get too emotional about the topic and to stay on task because part of me wants to start like being like, no, you're wrong because of A, B, and C. Like, this is a wrong interpretation. However, of course, this podcast isn't about refuting the pro-enslavement defense. It's just truly about um, uncovering like why people used this particular, uh, you know, uh, justification for enslavement it's about uncovering why um and so I'm just trying to stay true to my task of course I want to sit here and you know refute basically a bunch of people who are now dead um obviously I don't think I have very many people to argue on about this topic um but you know it is definitely that's a whole other topic to discuss but um it is definitely a difficult thing when looking at history to you know stay somewhat you know not emotionless because I think history is 
an emotional thing like just by its nature you know some really horrible things happen and enslavement unfortunately was one of them and it's horrible but um you do have to stay as a historian i think some level of like emotionlessness i guess like you you have to be careful not to get too caught away with your feelings otherwise you'll just stray off into a whole other direction that isn't even historical anymore you start getting more political about it um so to speak i guess that for lack of a better term more political about it if you know what i'm trying to say um if not ignore me i guess but um that was a little bit of a tangent but anyways getting back on topic um this verse also tells the bond servants you are in quotes you are are serving the Lord Christ so end quote um, this could very easily be taken by people as telling the bond servants that their master is the equivalent to God and should be treated like God which is wild because you know the religion does also state that there's only one God so of course this is a very 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 literal assumption I'm making that I'm more than positive plenty of people took because that that's the only thing that would make sense why would people who are you know very religious why would they beat their slave this is the only thing that makes sense so that is why i'm kind of telling this from like the most extreme um i guess interpretation that could be taken you know by this uh passage in the bible so anyway um so they're being told that they're master is the equivalent to god almost like their master has been touched by the likeness of god or is godly in some way shape or form and that's by somehow by disrespecting your master you are also doing the same to god almost as if your master is considered to be like a middleman um, in between you and god like for some reason you need someone in the middle um, and then of course like that almost makes me think of priests like aren't priests that person but like they're also you know they don't own us <laughs> um but like i said i'm starting to get a little emotional a little off topic um but you know what i'm talking about it's definitely an, a really interesting concept um so of course you know we can talk about how tricky the bible can be and that there is surely something that got altered in translation because the bible can be interpreted in so many different ways and especially like you know when it comes to the person translating the bible they're going to impart their own personal biases on the bible so anyway that is a whole other topic for conversation and debate um, that is more from a religious standpoint that we do not have time for um, it would be getting too off topic but i did just kind of want to address that because i think it's important when discussing the bible and history um and even if this was the case like that would still mean that like people still thought god condoned enslavement and these people still used it to justify their actions so it doesn't even matter what the bible like you know the, the original intent it doesn't even matter because this was something that was still used to justify the action so all right so unfortunately i was getting a phone call when i was in the middle of one of my podcasts so here i am i'm back I'm very sorry about that it was an important call but anyways let's go back to what we were talking about so of course i just talked about in the previous um section of this episode 
um, talking about how, you know, it would be getting too off topic to talk about the many different translations of the Bible and how things can be misinterpreted very easily when it comes to the way the Bible is written. Um, but anyway, going back to this idea of positive good, um, this defense for pro, for pro enslavement makes it sound like, you know, like the way it's kind of put makes it sound like a pretty great deal for both parties. But like, obviously, we know this is like far from the truth from what actually would happen. So in this case, the master does feel as though he's doing a good thing. Um, for very religious folk, being religious and believing in God is everything. So it's something that's like, well, you know what? If God says it's okay, it must be morally sound, uh, you know, even though, like, obviously this is far from that. Like, you're just taking away someone's, like, control of, like, their own life. But, you know, they still found a way to use the Bible to justify that. And for many people, that's all the justification they needed um and you know the sad part is most uh master-slave relationships were not like this like yeah of course there are stories of um enslaved people who like actually got to go to college and their master sent them to college and it's like well yeah i mean i guess that sounds pretty great and like they said they you know oh had this great relationship with their master but like a like you know of course Slavery is not okay, no matter how nice your master is. Like, that's just wrong. You're stripping freedom from that person. Of course, we know that. Um, and, you know, not all or even most master-slave relationships were even like that to begin with. So I guess that you could say that would be a pretty poor argument here. Um, but anyway, the Bible does make this sound like some amazing relationship where the bond servants a member of the family because like think about it like with this verse the bond servant is lumped in with the children and the wife in this passage but that was far from the truth like they were not considered a family member i mean they were considered less than that like this is something we know but they still found a way to turn this into you know what it really was and of course there were slaves like later on in history like I just said that were put through college by their masters and like of course like I said doesn't make enslavement okay at all it's still horribly wrong um it doesn't matter if the master is the nicest in the world enslavement obviously will never be okay I just want to make that point very clear um but my point here is that people were using the bible which created this fake idea of what enslavement was um and the reality is that, you know, people just read this and kind of decided, yep, enslavement's perfectly fine, but then would turn around and beat their slave and give harsh punishment for anything that they believe went wrong. So I think there was a lot of disgusting hypocrisy that went into this belief here. Um, and like, you know, going off of this, I mean, I know this is something that is really more designed to be in my conclusion, but like you can even kind of relate this to, um, you know, the civil rights movement, like this idea of separate but equal, like, you know, separate but equal sounds pretty good. Like, you know, when put, when, when it's said in the right way, like you can imagine how that could sound pretty good to a person. Oh, well, like, you know, the black kids would go to the black kids school and they would learn the same things and then the white kids would go to the white kids school and they would learn the same things on the surface level you know 
an innocent, say an innocent child, if you explained it to an innocent child that way, they probably would think, well, it's bad. Like they should really learn together, but is it that wrong? And it is because the students in the black school would, you know, they'd be receiving a very low quality of education and the white students would receive the best quality of education. It wasn't separate but equal. That's just not the truth. Um, so it's just like this false like narrative that was created. And like I said, like, you know, like this is something that, you know, you can parallel with other things that have happened like further through history. Like obviously I'm talking about the 1700s here, but this idea of like, oh, it's a good thing. They're like, you know, like with um, segregation, like, oh, it's a good thing. They're, they're like with their own people. Like, <sighs> that's just not it. And it's just so disappointing to see like this same kind of narrative happen in the future. And this is just kind of the way it goes and it's horrible. And I think like, you know, that's going back to my conclusion yet again, that like, of course, you know, um, oh, sorry, I lost my train of thought, but um, it goes back to this idea that like, when things are put a certain way, it can sound really good but chances are like that's so far from the truth and that's kind of what happened here and this you know I keep going back to my conclusion here because I do need to conclude each podcast of course but the point here is that the bible I mean it it's very disappointing um and you know oh sorry I keep losing my train of thought um but um yeah so, like I said, you know, like, these things do repeat itself, and this kind of goes back to, you know, this is something that we have to analyze in history so that way we can correct our wrongdoings today. Like, I'm sure people, you know, who lived during segregation at the time thought, oh, well, there's nothing wrong with what we're doing right now, and, you know, like, they used a lot of the same arguments. So if these people were able to reflect on that, if they were able to, you know, examine like the justifications that were used for enslavement they might be able to see why what they're doing is wrong but that wasn't something that was done um so there you go it it's horrible and it's disgusting and very sad but i think ultimately the bible throughout history among many other religious texts have been wrongly used to justify the most horrific actions for all kinds of things and like I said, I suppose this again brings me to my conclusion, uh, which of course will be safe for the last episode of my podcast. But again, uh, my bibliography for this episode will be located in the description of the episode. So please look there. That's where I got most of my information. Um, and then of course, yeah. Um, so I hope you have jo- enjoyed hearing me discuss uh, this especially disgusting and very, very twisted defense for pro-slavery it's just disappointing and I um you know what I hope you stick around for the next episode thank you so much for listening and have a great rest of your day night morning wherever you are and whenever you are hope to uh see you on the next one or hear you on the next one or listen to me on the next one whatever you want to call it all right goodbye hi there and welcome to the third segment of my podcast. I apologize for this. Somehow I overlooked a part of my notes on accident and um, I just forgot about 
another piece of my argument um, when talking about this particular, um, um, you know, oh, what's the word? <laughs> um, this particular justification that was used for enslavement. So, <coughs> sorry, had a little bit of a cough there. So, um, what I forgot to mention was the significance of the Bible. So, like, you know, okay, so like, Taylor, how can you prove? that, you know, the Bible was a, you know, moving piece that would have been a significant part of, like, this argument that um, enslavement is good for slaves on the basis of religion, because, like I said, like, the theory would be that, well, the master would give religion to uh, the bond servant, and that was it. Um, so, I know that this was absolutely a means of justification that was popular because um i saw something on i think it was called it's called the link the yeah, oh yeah here we go the library of congress so the library library of congress is a reliable source um and they estimate that between the year 1700 and 1740 an estimated 75 to 80 percent of the population attended churches so, I mean, this was at a point in time where there was a major religious revival, and so um, the article that I found within the Library of Congress basically explains that, saying that, like, religious, religion was something that was starting to be more valued, more heavily practiced in America at the time. So, based on that, we do know a strong majority of people in the country were practicing uh, Christianity um, because churches are a Christian worship place. So it didn't matter what kind of like um, type of Christianity it was, whether it was like, you know, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, like any of those, it doesn't matter. Um, they all believed in the same God. So they all probably would have referred to this verse. Um, so that's part of what makes it significant. And additionally, something that's really interesting is if you read the Declaration of Independence and you know you read through it and you pay attention to how many times God is mentioned um, God is mentioned I think, I think four times hold on let me just check through my notes to be sure that I'm correct um, hold on just give me one moment yeah um, Yep, it is mentioned in the Declaration of Independence four times, I'm correct. Um, so this does really detail the value of religion that people in early America held. I mean, when you're thinking about it, like, what does declaring your independence have to do with God? Like, if God is that significant in the Declaration of Independence, you can only imagine how significant God would be in people's lives. So it is definitely safe to assume that the Bible would have been something that people would have used and would have looked for, looked to, to be like, hmm, you know, like, say someone's like walking around and they're like, you know, I don't, would God condone enslavement? And then they go to their church or they go through the Bible and, you know, they figure out that, oh, okay, well, this sounds like God thinks it's okay. So I'm going to go along with that. Um, so that's definitely a reasonable assumption to make if the 
you know, if religion is very important to these people and most of them happen to be Christian, um, this is something they most definitely would have referred to. And there, I mean, there are a couple other verses in the Bible that talk about enslavement or, um, uh, what is it called? Like bond servant I don't know. I don't know what the uh, action verb would be for that, but bond servants are talked a lot about in the Bible. Not a whole ton, but there are a couple other verses which I could have gone through, but I found that one to be the most relevant and the most um, convincing argument, I guess you could say, the most prominent one. I'm um, just in my opinion, because if I mean, if I were to go through, you know all these different parts of the Bible that talk about enslavement, this part of my uh, podcast series would be a little bit too long, but I just wanted to add that in here because um, I did realize I missed just a little bit of this part of my argument. I want to make sure I don't miss anything. So um, thank you again for listening to my podcast. Um, hopefully you will listen to the next one and have a great rest of your day, night or morning, wherever you are.